Well, we are continuing our look at Jeremiah. And if you would, turn in your Bibles, in the pew Bibles there in front of you, to Jeremiah 42. Jeremiah 42, and that's on page 669 in your pew Bibles. So we heard last week from Luke, who I'm extremely grateful for, and as I am sure that you're grateful for too, of his preaching of from uh, the New Covenant. The New Covenant that Jeremiah prophesied by, and it's not any uh, happenstance that it's right in the middle of the book of Jeremiah. That you have all of this destruction that's being prophesied, and then right in the middle, a promise. And yet we hear on the other side of it now, where we get into our second or third, third part of Jeremiah, destruction is here. And so we heard about God's faithfulness to His people to bring them out of Egypt, and that He would again do that. And so it's really important as we look to that day when Jesus will come back, when Jesus will set to right all that's wrong that we just prayed about, We have to go back here, though, to get to there. We have to understand where we came from as people, what we inherited, really what's in our heart of hearts. So by going there, by looking at this time and this Babylonian exile, this really is meant to do heart work so that here, right here in our hearts, We can hear God speak to us because we're not that much different, though we would like to look at Israel from afar. We're not that different from Israel. We make these overtures of, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to follow you. Whatever you command me, I'll do. And the Lord reminds us that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But even Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. And if you would be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And so in order to get there with the new covenant, we have to go back here. We have to go back to that place of understanding where we came from and really what's in our heart of hearts. So there's only one point to today's message. Just one. And it's the title of the sermon. Trust not in Egypt. Trust not in Egypt. And you may be finding yourself saying, well, what, Matt? I I don't trust in Egypt. (laughs) And Egypt's just a country in North Africa. I really don't trust in it. Well... What we're going to see in our passage is that Egypt is not just some geopolitical entity. It's not just a country. But Egypt itself, just like Babylon served in the the book of Revelation, how John refers to Babylon, in the same way Egypt also heeds to the fact that God's people were in oppression. And so so it symbolizes oppression. It symbolizes sin. It symbolizes slavery. A place that each one of us has come from. That's why the story of the Exodus is so impactful for us, isn't it? Because we can see our story of slavery to sin even in Israel as they were in slavery to sin. And that's not that's not uncommon to, to feel that same way. And that's that's what the story of Egypt is about. That it's not just about a geography, but it's about a place where our hearts go. A place that our hearts trust. So our journey begins by looking at those chains, by looking at the oppression of sin and of self and turning to Christ. And so I want us to go back there so that we can see what's in here in our hearts. See, in our passage, uh, Israel, so from your perspective, so Israel's right here, Babylon's over here, and Egypt's down here. Okay, so these are the, the two greatest political forces of that time 
Israel, that we just heard from Amos, you're being the smallest country ever. You're being the most insignificant country. I have, I have looked at you, my people, and I have given you my love. And, and so sandwiched in between these two huge superpowers is little old Israel. And so Babylon's coming in from the east, and they are getting ready to take over Judah. And so then there's this rumor swirling around in Israel, or at the, in, in Judah at that time, saying, hey, maybe we should just go to Egypt. Maybe we should just fly to the most, the second most powerful group that we could. And so the question is, is did you forget your history, Israel? Did, did you forget where you came from? Did you forget what God had done for you by freeing you? Your ancestor Joseph, right, he, he, he was there in Egypt and all of his offspring were thrown into slavery. Did you forget that you are no friend of Egypt and they are no friend to you? So why would they want to go back to a place of oppression, a place of, of, of slavery? Why would they want to go there? Have you all ever heard of a, a psychological phenomenon called um, Stockholm Syndrome? Are you familiar with what, what it is? In August of 1973, in Stockholm, Sweden, that's where the term comes from, in Stockholm, Sweden, there was this uh, ex-convict that went to a bank to rob it. And the robbery got botched, and so he took four prisoners. He took four hostages, and uh, they were holed up in this bank for six days. And the police noticed, noticed something, because they were able to interact with the, the hostages. They were able to interact with the, the guy who was holding them hostage. And they noticed that these hostages were actually very friendly to the, uh, their captor. But when the police officers engaged with them, that they were extremely hostile to them. So there was this, this flipping, right? There was this, this issue where these hostages were actually liking and joking and having fun with the person that was enslaving them. And when the people that came to free them from that slavery came to help them out, they said, who do you think you are? Get out of here. That's the kind of activity because in Stockholm Syndrome, there's something that happens. And let me just read you a couple of accounts from a news source here, just kind of get, help you get into this, this mindset. And in this mindset, I think that hopefully you'll start to feel this tension that you may feel week after week with your own sin. So this is what one news source says. He says, when one hostage complained of claustrophobia, the, uh, the captor allowed the hostage to walk outside of the vault attached to a 30-foot rope. And the hostage told the New Yorker a year later that although leashed, by a 30-foot rope, I remember thinking he was very kind to allow me to leave the vault. The robber's benevolent acts curried the sympathy of his hostages, and one of them said, when he treated us well, we thought of him as an emergency god. And then the account continues to go on. He says, even when threatened with physical harm, the hostages still saw compassion in their abductors. After the captor threatened to shoot a hostage in the leg to shake up the police and show that he was really serious, the hostage recounted, how kind I thought he was for saying that it, would just, it was just my leg he would shoot. Another hostage tried to convince her fellow hostage to take the bullet because Sven is just in the leg. That's, that's the story, right? That's the story of the Stockholm Syndrome. is like, hey, it's really not that bad. It's just a shot in the leg. And so a psychological journal says this. Stockholm Syndrome develops when people are placed in a situation where they feel intense fear of physical harm and believe all control is in the hands of their tormentor. 
intense fear of physical harm, and all control. They think that all the control lies in their tormentor's hands. And then this is the situation that Israel finds themselves in. And an intense fear of physical pain as Babylon comes to them and says, we're going to destroy you. They think that God's absent. And maybe they can find respite and peace in Egypt. And so they're going to run there. Maybe they'll find security. Maybe they'll find comfort. But you can be sure that they're going to find death, as we'll hear in our story. So if you would, follow along with me. We're just um, going to be reading, well, we're going to be reading the whole chapter of chapter 42, uh, Jeremiah 42. Then all the commanders of the forces and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us. That the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I've heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we don't act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it's good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall, see war, where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a hurt, a curse and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. The Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and whatever the Lord our God says, declare to us, and we'll do it. And I have this day declared it to you. But you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. 
Now, therefore, know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to live. This is the word of the Lord. And this is the refrain for this sermon. Trust not in Egypt, my friends. Trust not in Egypt. And so I'm going to take this one point, and I'm going to just explain this story, and I'm going to interweave our stories in with this story. Because like I said, Egypt is not just some political power, but it's our own love for sin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we find our habit, when we're not thinking about it, our habit is to go back. Is to go back to Egypt. Back to that place of comfort because sin is really comfortable. We have scars from our chains, but we feel like they don't fit so bad. And the Lord would tell you and me this morning, do not put your trust in sin. Trust not in what your eyes see, but listen to the word of the Lord. So Johanan, Johanan is the commander of Israel's army. And he and all these stalwart generals come to Jeremiah, and they are in a place. They're in a panic. They're saying, all these people want to go back to Egypt. Should we go back to Egypt, Jeremiah? Please talk to the Lord. Tell us what we should do. And whatever you say, we're going to do it. But you've got to remember that Egypt is no friend of Israel, right? I already mentioned that they were freed from slavery. But even then, Egypt continued to badger Israel because they wanted that plot of land. And so, Pharaoh, I don't know, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 23 to see this account. But if you remember, Josiah was the last righteous king in Israel. And Pharaoh of Egypt killed him in 2 Kings chapter 23. So Egypt didn't just go away. Israel didn't just get out of slavery and then everything was fine. No, Egypt was there on their back door constantly coming to take them over. So, you, like I said, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 23 and take a look at that yourself. And so out of desperation, they come to Jeremiah and they said, Please, will you just talk to God because we have not heard from the Lord. We don't know what to do. Our hands are tied. Please, whatever you tell us to, to do, we'll do. And if, have you ever had a friend like that who said, Man, I know I should stop sinning. I know I shouldn't do that. But I can't help myself. Have you ever heard yourself say that very thing? I wish I would just stop that sin, that besetting sin that I keep doing again and again. And every time we have confession, I keep confessing the same sin. Have you ever heard yourself say that? God, if I could just hear from you, then I would stop. Look at verse 6. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God and whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. They were diligent and they were earnest about following Jesus or following the Lord. And then we see in the next paragraph what happens. Jeremiah goes away for 10 days, a week and a half, to hear from the Lord. And he comes back, comes back with a word, this coveted word that they were anxious to hear. And God tells them to what? Remain. Remain in the land. Don't go to Egypt. And, and we can hear the echoes of Jeremiah 1. If you remember back in Jeremiah 1, from in verse 10, If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did send you to. 
So instead of finding a solution, the Lord wants them to wait, to remain in the land. See, this flies in the face of our human tendencies, doesn't it? You and I, typically, when something's not going the way we want it to go or when we have some kind of fear, we might run back to our tormentor, right back to Egypt, right back to that very comfortable sin. We try to fix things. If I can just get Sally to do this, and if I can get Sam to do that, then I'll get the answer I want. And we could disparage Israel and say, man, what are they thinking? Why would they ever do this? But think about it. Think about it. Your best friend may have been taken away to Babylon. Your mom and your dad may have been taken away. Your, your, those, who, your, those who you trusted, who did your laundry, those who, who were your you know, blacksmiths, everything was taken away. I think I'd be on the phone calling some friends saying, hey man, hey, can I come crash at your place? Can you, can you do something about this? I know you've got a lot of money and I know you can fix it. And you might even find yourself going back to those who aren't very savory either and saying, can you just help me out? I need a solid right now. And that's what Israel is doing. But what is the Lord's response? He's not saying, try to fix yourself. Yeah, you know what? Get your shields, get your swords and go to battle. He doesn't say that, does he? So I think that the Lord would have us here this morning. The first step to have lasting freedom in life. The first step is stillness, is remaining. It's getting in the presence of God and being quiet. Being healed by His presence. Because our problems, my friends, our problems are primarily, not merely, but our problems are primarily with God. Not with your situation, not with that annoying person, not with your neighbor, not with your coworker, your problem primarily is with God. And so the Lord says, remain, be still, be quiet, sit here for a minute and listen. Because look at verse 11. Do not fear the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Don't fear him, declares the Lord. Why? For I am with you to save you, to deliver you from his hand. And I can't help but think, how many times have you and I discounted the presence of God in our lives? How many times have we taken for granted that, that God's empowering presence is always available to us just to call out to him? And if we would just stop scurrying from him, if we would stop trying to fix it, Lord would, the Lord would remind us that He is with us. He's with us. And we wouldn't fear. But it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy just to sit still and be quiet and wait. We have a tendency to want to pull the trigger and try to fix it right now. I know it's not easy. I was just confessing sin that I have confessed before. I'll probably... Unfortunately, confess next week. And my friend, you're not alone. That desire to go back to Egypt, to that place of sin, is great. We don't have to be frantic to fix it. God says, just be still. When was the last time, instead of trying to fix something, instead of trying to make it work, you just stopped? When 
was the last time you just said, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to try to manipulate and finagle my way out of this. But I'm just going to sit here and wait on the Lord. So what do we... What do we need to do? What else do we need to do in sitting? Because I think in our text we see a couple more ways that we get at what we're supposed to do to experience the salvation that God promises us. It's in this next paragraph. It's in this next paragraph. We have to secondly, in order to, to have this lasting freedom that God promises us, we need to realize the death that slavery will bring. We have to be honest with ourselves. Is What will come of it if I go there? Look at verse 18. You will become an execration. That is something detestable. You will become a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You see, when we forsake God and we try to fix things and find our satisfaction in broken cisterns that can hold no water, we become that which we give our attention to. By giving in day after day, we form habits in our lives. And so God is saying, if you would be still and actually consider what's happening, then you would see sin for what it is. Instead of just, how many times when you give in to that besetting sin, whatever it is, is it because you weren't thinking about it and you just kind of found yourself comfortably just criticizing someone, comfortably going back to that place you shouldn't be? Because you hadn't considered that slavery will bring death. You'll become a horror and a curse and a taunt. And so when we repeatedly shut God out of our lives, that's what happens. We come to be this taunt of other people, this thing that we didn't want to be because we didn't spend time really thinking that if I give in to that, there's no life there. And third... Third, we must resolve to choose to not go back. (laughs) This is a really strange one, I know, so let me explain it a little bit. When you know who you want to be, that you don't want to give in to that sin anymore, that's a great place to be, and it's detached from being in the midst of that sin. And so God would have you say, "Who, who would a better version of me be? I wouldn't go sinning in that tavern or in that pub or at that bar. Right? I don't want to be there. So I'm going to choose right here while I'm not being asked by my friends to go there. And I'm going to choose right here to never go back there again and to choose not to go back to Egypt. It says it very plainly in verse 19. It's very clear. This is the hard word that the Lord would say to you and me. Do not go back to Egypt. This is what the Bible typically calls repentance. Turning from that place to consciously say, I don't want to do that, and I am turning away from it. I'm not going to go back there. It's not, even, it's not even on my list of things I could do. But I refuse to go back there because I first considered what is back there is nothing but slavery. It's the person I don't want to be. You have to make a conscious decision to never go back to slavery. To never want to be in that place again. And yes, I'm referring to the darkness of opioids. I'm referring to the, the alcoholism. I'm referring to also, though, bitterness from past hurt. I'm, refer- I'm referring to anger. I'm referring to anxiety. 
I'm referring to fear. I'm referring to a critical spirit. All of those things, like we can say, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely slavery. But did you ever consider that you giving in time and again to that critical spirit is slavery? You can't see the good that's all around you. See, we, at root, we, we all run to things that we think will make us feel good by casting a disparaging eye on someone else, by criticizing them, by gossiping about them, by, by being fearful that... In some way, you have control of a situation. See, that's what they are. They're meager attempts at control. And we forget that God has called us, if we sin, to cut off our hand. To pluck out our eye. And so it never becomes something that we can consider again. See, at root, at root, it all comes down to a matter of trust. Who will you trust? Will you trust in God's provision for you? Because in our, in our call to worship in Psalm 146, we heard this, right? Don't trust in princes. Don't trust in princes. Don't trust in flesh because it will give way. You can't put your confidence in something that's going to go to the grave and be eaten up by worms. So I spent some time considering this week, what do we trust in? Well, we not only put a lot of trust in our strength and our ability to manage a situation. That's our default. But we also trust other people, too, if we're honest with ourselves. And so much of our frustrations in life have happened because we put our confidence in flesh. Maybe it's a pastor that you trusted. Maybe it's a leader of some sort that you trusted. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's friends or coworkers. But in some way, you put your confidence in flesh because you wanted to be accepted. You wanted to be loved. You wanted to be affirmed that you were doing what was right. You wanted a more secure future. And so you just said, if I could just put my confidence here, I'm just going to ride those coattails in. But I want you to hear the Apostle Peter this morning. He says, all flesh is like grass. It will die. You can't put your confidence in princes. You cannot put your confidence in spouses or in children or in friends or in coworkers or in pastors, or in, or in any kind of leader. Don't put your trust in anything or anyone else but God. These are hard words to hear. call to repent is strong. It's stark. It, it, is, there, it is black and white. To turn from and turn to God. But let me tell you how the story ends. In the very next chapter, Johanan. Remember? Johanan said, whatever you say we'll do, what do they do? They disobey. They say, Jeremiah, you're a liar. You're not speaking for God. We're going to Egypt. And so they take everybody and they go right back to Egypt. Just like their ancestors did. Everything you say Moses will do. While they construct a golden calf. Everything you say, Jeremiah, we will do. Whatever it is, whatever hard word you tell us, I'm going to do it. And they get the hard word of repentance. Repentance. Don't go to Egypt. And they say, I think we'll go to Egypt. I think we'll go to Egypt. But you know what's comforting? Is that this isn't the last time that Egypt's mentioned. And this is the fourth, fourth step in our journey. Right? So you got to be still. Be quiet before the Lord. Understand that He is present. Right? And then what do you do? You consider your sin that it will bring death. Thirdly, 
you decide not to go back to Egypt. And then finally, we listen to this story by the Apostle Matthew. In his gospel, what did he write about? After Jesus was born, Herod wanted to kill Jesus, right? Joseph and Mary and Jesus fled to Egypt. And Matthew says this, To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now I can't get into all the details of this passage. This comes from Hosea and you can look at it yourself. But I think it bears out. I think that Jesus goes to Egypt to come get us. Because we went to Egypt time and again. He goes to Egypt to remind us that He is not far from you or from me. He is is flesh and blood. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted to go to Egypt. And so he, He goes there. But He just doesn't stay there in slavery. He goes there to be out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. And all those who put their faith in this Messiah, in this one who goes to Egypt, who clasp onto Him, that's the fourth That's the fourth step in our journey. To throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. He's the one who conquered sin and death. The perfect, only righteous one. That no matter how many times, how many times you resolve never to sin again, you'll fail. And yet God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I love those are failures. I love those who are sick, those who are hungry. I will feed them. So be still. See that your sin leads to death. Repent of that sin and turn to Jesus. And he calls you to himself. He says, if you will but come to me, you will be mine will be mine. And here you will remain. Here you will find all that your heart longs for in Egypt. You'll find tenfold, a hundredfold. If you'll but come to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in this place of torment. And you tell us to not go back to Egypt, yet we find ourselves like Johanan running to Egypt for solace and for comfort. And we find that these habits are so strong in our lives. So help us, help us to consider anew our sin and our need of a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.